everybody. Amen. God is good. He is risen. He is risen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise one more time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, it's good to see all your smiling faces here on Sunday morning, resurrection morning. We call it Easter, but it's really a resurrection morning. And how many of you can say, I'm resurrected myself? Amen. Amen. I want to remind you of a commercial that came out in 1984, and it showed a little old lady, and there was a great big guy standing next to her, and he handed her a huge hamburger bun. And she received it, and then she decided to look and see what was inside of it. And when she looked inside, she saw this pathetic little hamburger patty. And she looked straight in the camera and said, and you see how well-known that thing is? <laughs> when I was uh, reading up on that story, it turned out that she was supposed to say, what happened to all the beef? But she had emphysema. So all that she could get out was, where's the beef? And her emphysema caused her to make one of the most famous commercials in all of history. So in her weakness, God was made strong. But you know, when people say, what about all this Christianity stuff? And what they're really essentially saying is, where's the beef? Well, I want to tell you that here's where the beef is. It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And I want to read about that to you, of course, out of Matthew 28, 1 to 6. And we're going to read what went down on that first Resurrection Sunday morning. And we're going to see what we can learn from it. Now it says, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began at dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Not to let him out, but to let them in. Because he was already out. His countenance, the angel's countenance, was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the Roman guards shook for fear of him. They saw him. And they became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Read the next four words out loud with me. For he is risen. As he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. It's, always, it's interesting to me that in all the Gospels, the angel says, come on, I want to show you where he was. I want to take you right to it. I'm not going to just tell you he's risen. I want you to come and see the place. There was no hiding. There was no obscurity. There was no attempt to uh, keep anything hidden. But they said, let's go look right where he was. I want you to look where he was. And there was his, his tunic rolled up. And they saw where he was, and they saw that he was no longer there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And we pray that today your truth will reign. I want to pray for those, Lord, whose hearts may not yet be yours, that you will touch them today with the truth of the gospel. And I want to pray for those who may have drifted from you, that you will call them home. But I want to pray for all of us today 
that we will walk out of here with a skip in our step and a gleam in our eye and a smile on our face because he is risen in Jesus name. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, I know he's risen. Amen. Well, this is the account of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And I want you to notice, first of all, that the, the, the first people who realized and received the revelation that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead were women. Women. You know, I said last night something I'd never thought about before, but every feminist in America ought to love Jesus Christ. Because nobody in the whole Bible dignified and lifted women up more than Jesus Christ. Jesus was a champion of women. The Bible says this about the women that were there at the tomb and the women that followed him. Listen to their biographies. The Bible says that certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, including Mary Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, and Susanna, and many others who had provided for him from their substance, had followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. So you have up-and-outers like Joanna, who had a high place in Roman society, but Joanna woke up one day in all the wealth, in all of the, the honor that she had in her position in society, and realized something was missing. And she discovered that Jesus Christ filled in the missing link. She was an up-and-outer. Then there was down-and-outer women, like Mary Magdalene. We don't know what the demons were. But I guarantee you, if you've got seven demons inside of you, you are a tormented individual. And the Bible says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her, and, and Mary owed him her life. Women from all walks of life had a story to tell about how Jesus had changed their life. And they followed him, and they loved him. And there was a reason women were drawn to him, as well as so many people in massive crowds. You know, Jesus couldn't go anywhere without out being swarmed by crowds. The Bible says one time he was in a house, and there were so many people jammed into that house to hear him, that there wasn't room enough to receive another person, not even around the door. They loved Jesus. People hung on his words. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out devils, he gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. No one was like him. And that's why they followed him. Because there's never been another man in the history of the world like Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anyone like Jesus Christ. His life began with an immaculate conception and ended with a miraculous resurrection. And sandwiched in between, his life was a series of miracles. He had no earthly father. The Bible says he was conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. See, as soon as you come to him, you are confronted with an incredible miracle and an incredible claim. The Bible says that when the angel of God appeared to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to God's only begotten son... Mary said, how can these things be? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary 
The conception of the Son of God is going to be totally supernatural. The Spirit of God is going to overshadow you. And God's going to speak. And you're going to conceive in your womb a supernatural child. May this truth never be taken from the real church of Jesus Christ. And God spoke to Mary's future husband, Joseph, who discovered she was with child and understandably was very concerned. And God spoke to him in a dream and said, Joseph, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take unto you Mary as your wife. The Lord Jesus went on to live a sinless life. Not one time did he ever break one of God's commandments. Not once. Can you imagine a life where you never have to say, look up and say, God, I am so sorry I sinned against you. Please forgive me. Jesus never did. It says he was in all points tempted like we are, yet he never gave in to the temptations and sinned. He was without sin. And once his ministry began, folks, he said things that no normal man could ever legitimately say. No normal person could ever claim what Jesus claimed. See, he doesn't allow us to treat him like just a good guy. You can't just look at the at, at Jesus honestly in the Bible and say, well, he was just a good guy like so many other religious leaders, Buddha and so on and so forth. He was just another good religious leader. He doesn't let us do that because of the things he said. I'll give you an example. Jesus claimed, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, watch this, will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I'm going to say that again. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Even if he dies. Now, nobody normal can say that. Come on. Nobody normal can say that. Because they would either be completely crazy and they need to be put away. Or they are who they said they are. He doesn't allow us anything else. There is no other option. You have to conclude he was crazy or that he was who he said he was because only somebody either crazy or who really was God in flesh could say, if you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. But by far, the most jaw-dropping thing Jesus ever said had to do with rising from the dead. Did you know that he repeatedly warned his, his followers? He said... I will be betrayed to the chief priests and the other Jewish leaders and they will condemn me to die and they will hand me over to the Roman government and I will be mocked and hung on a cross. Jesus knew exactly what they were going to do to him. He knew exactly what his future held. He knew why he was born. He knew how he was going to die and he knew that he was going to rise from the dead. He knew the way the whole thing was going to go down to the minutest detail. But he didn't stop there. He added 11 words to that last statement. And he said, on the third day, I will rise to life again. Only a crazy person can say that or somebody who really is who they say they are. He does not allow us, I say again, he does not allow us to say, well, he was just a really good guy. You know, first century hippie type guy, long hair, beard, pretty blue eyes. He didn't look anything like that. Walking around just doing good things, saying neat things, a real peacemaker, peace man. That wasn't Jesus. Uh-uh. No. Jesus made claims that only a God-man could make. 
This amazing claim that I'm going to rise from the dead is found all through the New Testament. I tracked it. It's found in Matthew's gospel once, three times in Mark's gospel, three times in Luke's gospel, and once in John. So eight times the gospel records record that Jesus claimed he would be killed by the Romans and on the third day would rise again from the dead. Eight times. Eight times. And Mark adds that he spoke this word openly. He didn't tell his disciples off in the shadows somewhere. But when the crowds were listening, when everybody was there, everybody was tuned in, he would say, I'm going to be killed by the Romans and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. He spoke this openly. Now, folks, we can all agree that dead people don't get up again as a rule. I've done many, many, many funerals. And I'm so thankful that during the funeral, none of them got up again. Because I probably wouldn't be standing here today. When, when, when somebody is dead, they're dead, right? Hello. They're dead, right? Every once in a while, we'll read about something freaky that happened where somebody was declared dead. And while they're being carried to the graveyard, uh, they, they, they sit up. But almost every time, well, virtually every time, it was a misdiagnosis. And thank God for their sakes, they got up in time. But they weren't really dead. But listen, they weren't really dead. They were, they were only declared dead, and they were that way for a few minutes, and then they sat up. But the Bible says that Jesus was dead three days and nights, so that totally puts him out of that category. He was declared dead. He was dead. They checked him out. He was dead, as dead could be. And they carried him to the tomb, and there he was for three days and three nights. Now listen, this startling claim that he made, They're going to kill me, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. When he said that, he put everything on the line. Everything was put on the line right there. His entire reputation rode on that prediction. The truth of everything he had taught, including his claims that he had come from God. He was God's only begotten son, which he said in John 3.16. John 3.16 is not the words of the Apostle John. It's John quoting Jesus. Jesus said, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, me, that whoever believes on him, me, would not perish but have everlasting life. All of those words, those words, claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be the Messiah, the Old Testament prophets had all predicted All of this hung on and rode on and swung on the hinge of his resurrection from the dead. If he got up from the dead, he would be the irrefutable, undeniable son of God. But if he did not get up, he would be one of the worst liars to ever stain the pages of history. And Christianity would be a complete sham. If there is no resurrection, Paul the Apostle wrote about that. He said... If he, Jesus, is still dead, then all our preaching is useless and your trust in God is empty, worthless, hopeless. And we apostles are all liars because we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And so if he's not really raised from the grave, then we're all a bunch of liars. We're a bunch of scam artists. And you are very foolish, he said to the Christians trusting God to save you, and you are still under condemnation for your sins. In that case, all Christians who have died are lost 
All Christians who have died are lost if Jesus did not rise from the grave. But here's the message of Easter, and here's why millions of people are meeting around the world to celebrate something. The Bible goes on to say, but now, everybody say now. Now. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first of millions. I'm going to read that again has become the first of millions. I'm going to read that one more time. I want you to catch this. Because he rose, so will those who have put their faith in him. And has become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday. Amen. See, that's, that's, the, that's the truth of Christianity. It's not about an Easter bunny. It's not about somebody's new dress or new suit. It's not about going to church once a year on Easter Sunday just because it's Easter. Oh, no, no, no. It's all because a dead man got back up from the dead who had said he was the Son of God. That's what it's about. Peter wanted everybody to know, Simon Peter wrote this, for we did not follow a cleverly devised fable. We have not followed a made-up story. Me Me and my bros... Peter, James, and John, and the rest, we didn't get together and hatch a plan, hatch a scheme to tell the world a lie about Jesus rising from the dead. This is not a cleverly devised fable, but we were eyewitnesses. Now, the strongest thing you've ever got in court is an eyewitness. When when you're in court, if you can have an eyewitness to vindicate you, or if a prosecutor can have an eyewitness to condemn somebody else, And prove his case. Nothing is stronger than an eyewitness. And Peter is saying, we were, plural, we, me and the disciples, we. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of the resurrected Lord. We were eyewitnesses. We saw him with our own eyes. Why in the world, folks, would they give up their lives to die horrible deaths for a lie? Bible records that after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared 12 times to different groups ranging from one person to over 500 people. I I dug this up. I want you to hear this. Mary Magdalene saw him first. What an honor. She had been demon-possessed, and this woman, delivered by Jesus, saw him first, grabbed hold of his feet, worshipped him, felt the nail scars in the feet. Then Peter saw him. Then James, his own half-brother, who didn't believe on him in the book of John, his own family didn't believe on him for the longest time. Then other women at the tomb saw him. Two travelers on the road to Emmaus, a little town outside Jerusalem, saw him, walked with him, talked with him, ate with him. Ten disciples behind closed doors saw and conversed with him. Then all the disciples saw him together, including old doubting Thomas. Seven of the disciples saw him while fishing. Eleven disciples met him on a mountain. And a crowd of 500, a crowd of 500 saw him, most of whom were still alive as eyewitnesses at the time of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Because Paul said in the first letter to the Corinthians, he said there were, there were over 500 who saw him alive, and most of them are still alive to tell about it. Eyewitnesses. 
hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Jesus' resurrection confirmed beyond all doubt that he was who he said he was. It sealed everything he ever said, everything he ever did. It put the seal of approval. It was God's seal of approval. He said, all right, I've raised him from the dead. That means everything he said was true, that he did die for the sins of the world, that he did hang on a cross for us, that he did carry my sin and your sin and my guilt and your guilt. He carried it because we know it's true because he was raised from the dead and therefore everything he said was validated and confirmed and affirmed as being true. So we got to step back from this resurrection and go, wow, what does this mean to me? What does this mean for me? Because if he rose from the dead, he was who he said he was and therefore... Not only did he come miraculously and leave in a miraculous resurrection, but he's going to come again. And where will I be if he comes again? Now we realize that when the disciples woke up and said, wow, he really did rise from the dead. They were set on fire with flaming zeal. That was all they needed to see, all they needed to know. Their hero, their savior, their teacher, their master, their guide, the one they had left everything to follow was really and truly risen from the dead. And let me just make a little phrase here. Follow me. Since realizing he really has risen from the dead, the church has been running on empty ever since. Now here's what I mean. Not empty spiritually. Not empty energy-wise. But we've been running on the truth of an empty tomb ever since. We've been running on the truth and the power and the validity and, and, and the, the majesty and the amazing fact of an empty tomb ever since. Let me describe Christians to you. Because a lot of people go, well, those Christians, they're a bunch of straight lays. They carry their Bibles around. Most of them are hypocrites and we hear all that stuff. But let me tell you the truth about us. We Christians don't get our inspiration from dry doctrine or dead religion or empty platitudes. That's not why I'm up here today. We get our inspiration from an empty tomb. I'm here because of an empty tomb. I'm preaching because of an empty tomb. I'm standing here because of an empty tomb. We don't place our faith in church buildings or good deeds or religious teachings. We place our faith in the reality of an empty tomb. It was the empty tomb that became the disciples' inspiration, message, and hope. That's what they were all about. That's why Peter wrote these words. Now. Everybody say again, now. Now Now we live in the hope of eternal life. Now listen to this because. Why are we living in the hope of eternal life? Because Christ rose again from the dead. That's why. So we run on the fuel of an empty tomb. We wake up every day with fresh hope because of the empty tomb. As we sang today, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. It's not about religion. It's about an empty tomb. It's not about doing good things just for goodness sake. It's about an empty tomb. We're running on empty, the power of an empty tomb. My heart is full because the tomb is empty. Amen. He saved me. He filled me. He delivered me. He touched me. And and I know he lives. And that is where I get my energy and my motivation and everything that I do. I do it because of the reality of an empty tomb. And so listen, in closing, I want to say something to those of you who might be a little far from Jesus. 
Maybe you don't know him personally. I've been there. Do you know that when I was 16 years old, I was in jail for narcotics, and I'd never heard the gospel in my life. I know what I'm talking about because I was as lost as lost could be. If I'd been left alone and God had not touched me, I can't even think about where I would be. But listen, sitting in jail with no hope and no future and no meaning and no purpose, I heard God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And those words were like they had wings on them. And they flew into my heart and convicted my soul. And, 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 and I realized that God was talking to me through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may be there today. And you're uncertain about whether or not you're going to follow Christ. You're uncommitted. You're on the fence. You don't know. Now, I know I'm preaching mainly to the choir, but forgive me for a minute, choir. Let me focus on people that might be far away. I want you to know that as Jesus was raised from the dead, you too can be raised from the dead first on the inside. Now, listen to what the Bible says. It says, without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does that mean? That means that until I know Jesus Christ, my soul is dead. You all have a soul. We all have a soul. It is that inner part of us. We hear about the soul all the time. That inner part of you that lives forever is your soul. And your soul is either in one of two conditions. It's either alive or dead. And if you don't know Jesus, it's dead. Now, you get up every day. You go to work. You you drive your car, you raise your kids, you store up your 401k, you live your life out, you hope you live a long life, and you go through all the motions of life. But if you don't know Jesus, the Bible says your soul is dead. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? You can get out there and make a million dollars, a billion dollars in the stock market, but if you never come to Christ, your soul is dead and it's lost. And Jesus said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world, if you make all the money in the world, if you own Fort Knox, but your soul is lost. But here's the good news. Those who place their faith in Christ, a miracle happens on the inside called the new birth. See, see, we don't have really, when it gets right down to it, we don't have a drug problem in America. We don't have a violence problem in America. We don't have a perversion problem in America. We have a sin problem. We have a heart problem. We need a heart transplant. America needs a heart transplant. We need to be born again. We need a new nature on the inside. And only Jesus can change you. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about rehabilitation. I'm talking about transformation. Jeff Wickwire at 16 years old, I prayed the first prayer in my whole life that I'd ever prayed because I'd never heard the gospel till jail. And I looked up and I said, Jesus, you know everything I've done. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart. And the minister was leading me in how to pray. He said, just pray this. And I meant it. I was sincere. And how is it that when I put my head down, my future was bleak and my life was a mess. But when I picked my head up, everything looked new. Everything seemed to glisten and sparkle and shine, even though I was sitting in jail. Because he gave me a new nature. The Bible says, if any man, any woman, any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. 
The Bible says about God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, there it is again, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Now what is Resurrection Sunday all about? It is this, that because he died and rose from the dead, we too can be resurrected first on the inside and then literally when he returns someday, everyone who has put their faith in him is going up. But the greatest resurrection, in my opinion, is what happens to you within. Have you been born again? Jesus looked at Nicodemus, a religious teacher, and he said, Nicodemus, I'm telling you, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born twice. If you're born only once, you're lost. If you're born twice, you're saved. If you're born once, you're blind. If you're born twice, you see. If you're born once, you're dead. If you're born twice, you're alive. If you're born once, you're hell-bound. If you're born twice, you're heaven-bound. You must be born again. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. I'm here, you're here, most of you, because you've been resurrected. Look at what you used to be. Who would ever have thought you or me would be in church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day in Dallas-Fort Worth? What are you doing here? He touched you. He touched you. He touched you. So I'm going to ask us to, let's rise today, can we? Let's stand. And I want to pray with people. I want you to know that I'm not in any way judging you. I'm not condemning you. How could I? I was saved in jail. I'm up here because of a man named Jesus. And I want you to know that if you'll pray a simple prayer that I'm about to pray, Just pray it with me. He'll come into your heart. We had people last night come to Jesus. One man that people had prayed for for years came down and he said, Jeff, I've been in here many times and I've heard you many times, but tonight I heard you. That spoke to me because you can hear and not hear. He that has ears to hear, Jesus said, let him hear. He said, I've been in here. He always sits right over here. He said, I've heard you so many times, but tonight I heard you, and I know I need Jesus. See, you can sit in church and be totally lost. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. I want to invite you just to pray what I prayed when I was in jail and let Jesus come into your heart. We're going to repent. We're going to ask God to forgive us because we all need it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so I'm going to ask us to pray. Can we do it? Let's just bow together in prayer. And if you're saved, but you want to pray it with me anyway, go ahead, pray it. But friend, if you're far from him, this is your chance to pray. Pray it with me. Say with me, Jesus, I repent of my sin I ask you to forgive me for the sin that has separated me from you I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so that I could be saved 
I place my faith in you today to forgive me and to come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed. You can say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But put your hand up. Many of you, I see you all over the place. God bless you. God bless you. Those of you that raised your hands, and there were many of you, in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss. And I want you to do something. See, when I got saved in juvenile home, the, the, the pastor, the preacher, said, now, if you prayed that with me, I want you to come down to the front. And nobody got up except me. And I can't tell you how I got up. Holy Ghost got me up from the dead. And I came up behind that preacher and I, and I said, sir, I want to. And I got that much out and I broke down weeping because the Holy Spirit was touching me. I didn't even know what it was. But he invited us down. There's something about going down and putting feet to your faith that seals your decision. So if you pray that with me, I want you to come down as soon as I dismiss church and say, Jeff, I pray with you. And I want to give you something that I've written just for you and send you on your way with some helpful information, and I hope you'll come back. Now, having said that, I want to give the rest of you a challenge. Everybody look up at me just for a moment. Some of you are in church for the first time in a long time. No condemnation there either. I understand. It's easy to drift. You miss one Sunday, then you miss another. Then it becomes a habit. Then you start fellowshipping with somebody on TV on Sunday mornings, and then maybe not even that. But listen, I I have a challenge for you. I have a challenge for you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to meddle with your stuff for a minute. Okay? I'm going to mess with your stuff just for a minute. You're not getting out of here until I mess with your stuff just for a minute. I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you. If you've been out of church, I want to challenge you to try church again. Well, I got really burned in church. I told myself I'm done with church because of what happened to me. Listen, if I had gotten out of church every time I was burned in church, I would have quit preaching decades ago I've decided nobody and no offense is worth my destiny period okay so here's my challenge I'm challenging you to come back next Sunday well that means I'm going to have to get up yeah Jesus got up from the dead you can get out of bed amen I'm challenging you. Now, I'm talking right to you. Some of you, this is making you uncomfortable because you don't want to hear this. But I'm going to challenge you because, here's why. The Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. See, God gave local church for a reason. And that's why you got offended and attacked in local church. Because the devil wanted to get you out of your place of blessing. So I'm going to challenge you to come. If you come... Next Sunday, here's what I'm going to talk about. You can begin again. I'm going to bring a message called, You Can Begin Again. I don't care how many mistakes you've made, you can begin again. I don't care how far out there you drifted, you can begin again. Because I know a Savior that is able to stand you up and do a new thing in your life. So I'm challenging you to come. Everybody say, You Can Begin Again. 
Now, if you can really get spiritual and come Wednesday night, I'm going to start a brand new series this Wednesday night, and you're going to be given your own little booklet uh, that we've written. Uh, it's going to have your name on it. You're going to follow along. It's your own study guide. It's going to be free. Uh, we print them right here in the church. It's beautiful. It's life-changing, and it's an eight-week series, and it's going to change your life. It's incredible. It's, it's wonderful. I totally believe in what we're going to be teaching on Wednesday nights. But if you can't make it Wednesday, next Sunday and the Sunday after, and then one more. And if something doesn't happen in your life by then, I'm not going to understand it. Because I know God's word changes people. Amen? So will you accept my challenge? Will you accept my challenge? All right. I know some of you are going, oh, I don't know. I I wasn't expecting this. This is Easter. I didn't mean. Yeah, I know. I told you I was going to meddle. But it's good to see all of you. And one last thing, we're baptizing next Sunday. If you prayed today and got right with the Lord, we're baptizing next Sunday. And we're going to give you one of these T-shirts. It says, Made New. You're going to get a T-shirt when you get out of those baptismal waters because the Bible says you're made new. So you get a T-shirt to take home with you, a bat, water bath. So when you wear it, people are going to say, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm made new by Jesus Christ. It's a witnessing tool. You'll get one of those next week. All right? Amen? All right. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Praise God. Now we're going to count to three. And guess what we're going to shout? Tell me what we're going to shout. He is risen. We like to count here. If you're a visitor, we like to kind of end on a high note. So I'm going to count to three and then shout it with me. Have a great week. He is risen and God is going to bless you. Amen. Are you ready? One, two, three. Amen. He is risen indeed. God bless you.